That was John Mayer with No Such Thing on SunWest Radio. We're um, glad you could be with us here this morning. Welcome, both of you. It's good to have you with us. Uh, we're in the middle of a series uh, that we started a few weeks ago, God Through My iPod. We believe that, uh, yeah, God speaks to us in all kinds of ways, and it's a fun thing, just in the middle of this a summer series, to share a few thoughts uh, and I'm trying to represent, uh, recognizing that the other pastors on staff are significantly younger than me. So I, I'm, I'm bringing out the music. Uh, last I shared the first message from uh, ELO, uh, Mr. Blue Sky, song from the 70s. <laughs> and uh, this is from, I believe, uh, 2001, John Mayer's No Such Thing. And I'll be unpacking this in just a moment. But first, I just want you to know, presently, as I speak to you, um, we have a candidate for worship pastor, and he's ministering this morning at the McKenzie campus, uh, but he'll be here next Sunday. And I'm asking you, please, uh, if you're part of our church family, if you'd be in prayer that God would just continue to give us his mind as we uh, head this direction and check out this candidate and have him lead worship at both campuses. He'll also be meeting uh, some of the worship pastors on Saturday morning just to mingle with them and get to know them a bit. Also want to say thanks to our volunteers that are helping out uh, in the summer months so faithfully. Bless you. Some of them aren't here because they're helping out with uh, uh, children's cinema. But thank you, all of you who are so faithfully. Thanks for being here this morning, Grant. And... Uh, Cajoning it for us, and also uh, it's nice to have a McKenzie uh, member with us here this morning at Fish Creek Campus. I also want to just take a second to affirm you, uh, this is our last Sunday of our fiscal year, 2015-2016 ends today. And I want to thank you for your incredible, faithful giving. We were very assertive uh, this past calendar year in passing a budget that was a significant increase um, I've talked to many pastors whose finances have taken a significant downturn in this past year, but you guys have been faithful. Our finances have actually come up. We've been able to help more families than ever before, bless more people than ever before, reach more people than we have in many years. And thank you for your, your faithful giving. And I'm so, like my heart is so very warmed at uh, your faithfulness and your consistency in giving. Um, we've taken a significant step in the direction of church planting. We've been mentoring a church planter all this year, and we hope to, in the next year or so, begin plans towards opening a third campus of SunWest, and as some of you heard at the annual general meeting or other places, our full intention is to plant uh, three new campuses by the end of 2020. So our 2020 vision is for five SunWest campuses to be uh, reaching people that we've never touched before. So thank you for your partnership. Thank you for giving to that and uh, standing with us. So word to you and word to your mom. Bless you for that. Yeah, so we're in no such thing in this God Through My iPod series. And uh, you'll see here on the next slide, it's uh, there's a line that, John Mayer has written, they love to tell you, stay inside the lines. 
And you can sense in, in the writing of the lyrics, I don't know if you're paying attention, if you're awake for that, but th there seems to be this angst that John Mayer is sharing of being kept inside a box. He's even a bit cynical about it. The line was, they love to tell you stay inside the lines, but something's better on the other side. Taken from the old phrase, of course, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. If you just, the message that I think John Mayer is pushing back against is the North American, the Western thinking, if you just work hard, if you just be on time, if you stay in line, if you don't cut corners, you'll be okay. Um, and you can see John Mayer kind of pushing back on that message. You'll see on the next slide here, um, the U.S. Department of Labor shared that in, in the United States, the most common jobs in the States last year, uh, number one was a Walmart clerk, number two was flipping burgers at McDonald's, number three, flipping burgers at Burger King. And you can sense John Mayer's disappointment. He's just looking for freedom. He's looking for something better than just staying inside the, the lines. And again, he shares this lyric, all of our parents, they're getting older. I wonder if they'd wished for anything better. Well, in their memories, tiny tragedies. And it is kind of tragic that people just settle for mediocrity, especially God's people. Again, John Mayer starts and ends the song very cynically. The, the opening lines, Welcome to the real world. She said to me condescendingly. As I looked into the lyrics a little further, uh, one of the live versions of this song, he throws in a couple extra verses and he explains, yeah, senior year, same old question. She said, what do you want to do? I said, play my guitar and sing. She said, referring to John's mother, there's no such thing. She said, there's no such thing. So every year his mom would come to him and say, so John, what do you want to do? What are you going to do with your life? And he keeps coming up with the same answer. He wants to be creative. He wants to play the guitar and, his, and sing. And his mom comes out with this line, hence the title of the song, there's no such thing. Dude, you can't make a gainful living playing the guitar and singing. As you know, John Mayer did okay. He, he ends the song kind of cynically, again, when he says, I just can't wait till my 10-year reunion. I'm going to bust down the double doors, and when I stand on these tables before you, you'll know what all this time was for. Again, he's got something to prove. He's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He wants his mom to know. He wants everybody he went to high school with to know. People that thought he'd amount to nothing. He just wanted them to know, and hence he comes out with this bridge, I am invincible. He says it three times, I am invincible, I am invincible. And then sarcastically says, as long as I'm alive. It's true, as long as we're alive, we're invincible. Kind of reminding me of his other song where he says, I'm not mad about it. And he says that three times. I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad about it. Well, I'm not that mad about it. This is the irony of John Mayer, beautifully done. And again, the closing, um, closing chorus that's reiterated three times through the song, I want to run through the walls of my high school. 
I want to scream at the top of my lungs. I just found out there's no such thing as the real world, just a lie you've got to rise above. Hmm. And we all face that same lie, don't we? You're not going to amount to anything. You can't. This is what the rest of society is doing. Your goal should really be to be a Walmart clerk or flip burgers at McDonald's. Like, but the challenge of the song is, yeah, i got to rise above that lie. There's this continued angst through the song of he just wants to be free. He just wants to escape the lie. And for the believer, for the one who's following Jesus, this so lines up with Scripture that I thought I'd spend a few minutes unpacking it this morning, if you're good with that. You guys good? You doing okay? Because you look fabulous. I say that because you're all backlit, and I can't see you at all. But from here, you, you do. You look great, so bless you. On the next slide, here's the question that begs to be asked. What do we need to be free from? What is this angst that we're all struggling? Is it free from oppression? Is it free from fear, worry, anxiety? Is it freedom from what others think? Again, the scripture says the fear of man is a snare. Is it freedom from self, from self-preservation, self-centeredness, self-indulgence? Is it political freedom, financial freedom, mental freedom, social freedom? No matter what you're looking for this morning, I think there's some profound encouragement in Galatians chapter 2, this short pericope. As Paul wrote the church in Galatia, you'll see it here on the next side, Galatia was, uh, well, they, they were new into Christianity. Maybe you're here this morning and you're relatively new in this Christian walk as well. And the Apostle Paul kind of pulls the attention away from traditional Hebrew faith, Judaism, the Jewish faith which had kind of been boiled down to just a bunch of laws. And Paul pulls these people who are still kind of new in the faith, like, guys, come on, let's get away from just rules. It's easy to default to that. 613 rules written in the Old Testament. And Paul kind of pulls on that focus. Like, if you're, if you're looking for a rule for everything, that's just not going to cut it. I was talking to our church planter in training this week, Sam Ramirez, and Sam and I were having a discussion because there's so many people, they just want a rule. And I said, Sam, people are going to come to you and they're going to say, Pastor Sam, like, this is happening. That, what do I do? Sam, what do I do? I said, Sam, when people ask you that, you really need to respond, what do you think you should do? What about this scripture? What about this in the Bible? And here's the thing, is God has actually created you to, to live in community, to live with others, but, but, but come to a point where you have a level of spiritual autonomy, where you can discern what the mind of the Lord is, what the will of the Lord is. You can be clear on what the scriptures are. There's no ambiguity because you are living a life not bound to a bunch of rules, not, oh, I just need to know the rules better, but no, I need to know the spirit of the book. A lot of people want to know the letter of the law. Paul, in this book to the Galatian church, encourages them to embrace 
the spirit of the law. Not to neglect the law, but to find the very essence of what Jesus was saying, what the Old Testament was saying. And now we have the benefit of 2,000 years later trying to discern what Paul is saying. So let's look at these verses here on the next slide. Paul says, for when I tried to keep the law, hmm, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So, I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Mm, powerful words. One more verse you'll see on the next slide. I want to wrap up with this one a little later. From Galatians 5, it says this, So Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Very simple outline I want to follow this morning. You saw those highlighted words. I want to talk about the merciless Measure up, murdered, management, meaningless, and maintain. This morning's message is brought to you by the letter W. But we flipped it upside down, because that's just how we roll. Awesome. We just have a prayer just to focus our thoughts for a second. Father, thanks for your word. It's amazing, like words that are 2,000 years old but they're alive today. These words literally live. Your word is incredibly powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide in half soul and spirit, and it lays us bare before you, whom we must day give an account to. Lord, please today, as we look into your word, would you cause this book to live in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls, in our spirits. None of us in this room would even for a second think that we've arrived. So we ask us, we, we ask you, Lord, as, as one body, please would you speak to us by your word and by the power of the Spirit to bring just a deeper transformation. We pray in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. So let's look at the merciless, first of all. The, the text said, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. The word there for died is apathanon. Now, usually the word for death would be thanon, but there's this prefix, apa, and it's intensification from apo, meaning, uh, literally means the word from. Forgive the 14a uh, rated insertion here. Uh, it's not just death. It's this intensification 
of death. And a lot of us have been left feeling this helplessness because of the merciless law that picks at us, that erodes our sense of well-being. And Paul said, you know, I, because of the law, I, man, I, I had like this death experience. Not just death, but from death to death. It, it's like this deeply intense death kind of feeling. I think a lot of people, like if you've been going to church for any length of time, somewhere along the line, somebody kind of hits you with a level of legalism. Have you heard that term? It's like it's faith, but it's faith lived out through, well, good, I did all the rules. I was a good boy. And again, depending on your background, depending on how your parents interacted with you, you can be left with this terrible feeling that that's all faith is. God's angry, he's, he's mean, he's vengeful, and legalism, laws, are merciless. They're condemning. That's the whole point of the law, Paul said, was it was to point out our mistakes, to point out our trespass. That's heavy. Paul wrote, you'll see it here on the screen, you foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you. For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. So, th so there's that feeling, this casting an evil spell. I like it in the New International Version. Another translation of the Bible says, you, you silly Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's not a word that's commonly used in the New Testament. The word is Baskano, because again, we didn't have English 2,000 years ago. This word Baskano in the Greek is best interpreted in English, I ready for this word, as prattling. I hadn't even heard that word before last week. Prattling is that repeated language that just kind of wears you down, just kind of nags at you, just kind of annoys you, kind of like when kids will say to you, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I? And, and just that prattling is that repeated sense. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. It's like, who, who, who has bewitched you? Who prattled you? Who just repeat? And that is what the law does. It's this merciless poking at you, prodding at you. It's incessant. I thank God there's more to the faith than just staying inside the lines, than just obeying a bunch of rules. Mm. Secondly, I want to point out from the text, not only is the law merciless, but secondly, there's this call from the law to measure up. You'll see it here on the next slide, verse 19. I stopped trying to meet all the law's requirements so that I could live for God. The word there for law is nomos, the word that we get astronomy or economy or taxonomy. Those are the laws or the words of those particular studies. It's from this root word, nemo. You probably remember nemo. <laughs> Not just the Disney fish, but they did actually find him. And uh, we're thrilled. But, but that's nemo, the... The root of the word that law comes from means to divide out, to distribute, to parcel. Nemo was also the famed sea captain. No, you're good. You'll see it here on the next slide. 
Um, Captain Nemo, look at this great quote. On the surface, they can still exercise their iniquitous laws, fight, devour each other, and indulge in their earthly horrors, but, yeah, but, that's okay. It's, you don't have to advance it, Rob. It just, it just comes up by itself. It's okay. Um, but 30 feet below the sea's surface, their power ceases. This is Captain Nemo from 20,000 leagues under the sea. sea. Their influence fades. Their dominion vanishes. Ah, to live in the bottom of the sea. There I recognize no master. There I am free. Captain Nemo. It's funny, a lot of times these classic uh, literary references will use names like Nemo. And it's really a dead giveaway. Nemo, the tension is breaking away from all the rules. And even in a classic book, or maybe you've seen the movie 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, there's this universal tension. When, when can I just be free? Again, John Mayer, I want to run through the halls of my high school. I want to scream at the top of my lungs. I just found out there's no such thing as the real world. This sense of frustration. And it's the same tension that the Apostle Paul carries. You see it when he writes to the church in Rome. He says in chapter 8, he says, like, I, I'm, he's, he's very conflicted. He's the thing I want to do I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I do that thing. Or I do do. I was staying away from that. But but there's this tension. I I don't want to do this, I'm doing it. I do want to do this, I don't. And he says, I feel that tension. I'm just not winning. And And he offers this phrase, who will rescue me from this body of death? And he comes to a simple conclusion. Thanks be to God. It's through Jesus. That same tension, that same frustration and angst to measure up, to do the rules, to stay inside the lines, to to be a good boy or a good girl, and, and now in our adult years, to successfully provide and look after our families, to be a good employee. There's this perpetual tension to measure up that is pretty much the theme of the song we listened to this morning. It's something we're all familiar with in some way or other, just that pressure to perform. On the next slide, as we continue through this Galatians 2 passage, Paul says these words, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's it's Christ who lives in me. It seems the only way out of this is death. I'm not talking suicide. I'm not talking escapism. Paul comes to this point where he realizes, and Jesus had this figured out. Jesus wasn't a victim of the law. He wasn't a victim of what people thought or their expectations. Jesus lived his life free. He actually spoke these words of himself that no one took his life, Jesus said about himself. Nobody took my life. I willingly laid it down. For Jesus, there was this surrender to the bigger purposes of what God the Father wanted. Paul said, you know what? I want a piece of that. 
there's a freedom in seeing the big picture that it's, it's not all about me and my selfishness and self-centeredness and egotistical way, narcissistic way of thinking. It's not about whoever gets the most toys in the end wins. And Paul says, you know what? I want to die with Jesus. I want to die the same way Jesus died. And he goes with this word, crucified. I've been. This is not something he's aspiring for. It's like he's realized he had a -a once-in-a-lifetime moment and he died. The way he used to do stuff, the way the Apostle Paul used to be wrapped up in all this legalism and rules, he's like, you know what? I went to school for that. I studied that. I understood it well. You know what? That wasn't cutting it. I've died to the rules, but I've also died to this other extreme of just anarchy, just doing whatever I want, this narcissistic, self-fulfilling way of living. And he finds this peace, this joy, this sense of connection in this secret listed here on the screen. I've, I've been crucified. It's done. It's not, again, my aspiration. This is past tense. I have been crucified with Christ. Not just, oh, I died of old age, but this violent, accursed, torturous form of death. Paul says, I've chosen that and I've done this. I, 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 I somehow united myself to Jesus. When he died, I died. And I'm not living anymore. That old way of just following the rules, just being boxed in by expectation, I'm done with all that. I'm not just done, I'm violently done with that. I have been crucified with Christ. It's not me living any longer, it's Jesus living in me. I don't know if you're picking up what Paul's laying down here. I don't know if you're smelling what he's stepping in. But Paul is laying out very clearly, this is done. This, like, like, this is past tense. This, this has already happened. And now instead of me and the conflict and the, I want to run through the halls of my high school and scream at the top of my lungs, rather than that frustration and not measuring up and the merciless, relentless, being hammered by the law, I'm done, and look who's here now. You're not seeing the same old Paul. You're seeing Paul and Jesus like this. This is Jesus living in me. Friends, that is the very essence of Christianity. I'm dead. Jesus is alive. You're looking at him. This is, to me, one of the most exciting passages in the entire Bible. Again, I remember when I was studying in school, one of my profs said to me, Mark, preach the great texts because they preach themselves. And it's true. I'm I'm reading this. I'm studying this the past three, four weeks. And I'm thinking, this is mind-blowing. I'm dead. Look, here's Jesus now. Now, I, I know the old Mark Griffin still tries to claw his way out of the grave. He's, oh, he's, he frustrates me. He's annoying. He's bothersome. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big fan. But then when I see Mark Griffin, incredibly average guy, united 
with the power of Jesus, that right there is a showstopper. Everything about Jesus, all of his love, all of his hope, all of his joy, his goodness, his kindness, his patience. I think Mark Griffin's totally void of that one on his own. But all this wonderful personality found in Jesus Christ starts to rise up, push aside the dead old Mark, and a brand new creation is there. Again, the words of the Apostle Paul, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone. Look, there's a brand new creation. Uh, does that make me any better? It make me better than anybody else, but it sure makes me different from the old Mark Griffin. I have been crucified with Christ. That's not me anymore. Again, he's still trying to make his way out of the old... I love talking about myself in the third person. It just sounds extra psychotic somehow. But, but still trying to crawl his way out of the old grave, trying to trap me in those old grave clothes, and I have to remind myself, no, I'm murdered, violently murdered. When I chose to put my faith in Jesus Christ, it wasn't that all of a sudden I was better at doing the law. I recognized I'm bankrupt. I don't have what it takes to live a good life. Jesus, help me. Jesus, you're the boss now. You steer the ship. I have been crucified, violently murdered with Jesus. That guy's not living anymore. When I see him pop up in the morning and say things like, oh, it's going to be a miserable day. High of 12 this morning, warming up to 14 this afternoon. I just want to crawl back in bed. I just say to that old Mark Griffin, you know what? You're dead. You're going to SunWest. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. There's going to be other people there who left their dead selves in bed. They've put on a smile, not in a phony way, but again, authentically embracing who they are in Jesus. They're finding a place of peace and victory and joy. Even though life sucks and then you die, I can choose to look at life differently. I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live any longer. Jesus owns this property now. I'm sorry, I'm preaching like a Pentecostal this morning. I'm sorry. Mm. It's, it's the word. I want you to see this on the next slide. We are under new management. This is powerful. Verse 20. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, this is the key. It's not shifting performance. Oh, okay, I used, to be, I used to be trying to obey the law and measure up to the law, measure up to my parents' expectations, measure up to my, my boss or my co-workers' expectations. Now I'm, I'm done with them managing. Now Jesus is going to boss me around, and I, I got to do it his way, and I'm self-determined. I'm gonna... this, this is what you need to see. It's, it's actually a faith transaction. Of, again, that stuff is dead, and now I trust him. I'm sorry, am I waking you? 
again, I, I know what we think in terms of I have to perform, I have to do. And Jesus instead invites us into, hey, you know what? Relax, that stuff's dead. I'm going to do it for you. You just have to trust me. You just have to let me. You're driving up the deer foot. There's somebody in the left lane. They obviously got their driver training when they were 14 on a farm. They're thinking, hey, I got this tractor in second year. I'm doing great. Why would I go anything over 85 kilometers an hour? And all you're looking for is to be close to the speed limit. And everything in you is crying out, get out of the way! But then you remember, oh, wait. That frustrated, impatient guy or lady died. Jesus, help me. Jesus. Jesus, help my road rage. And as you pull by on the right and smoke past that person in the left lane, you look at them and you smile and you say, bless them, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, help them in their slowness. Jesus, would you make their right foot heavier? <laughs> Somehow, miraculous. And all of a sudden, again, I'm not saying you put on the put on a cardigan and you turn into Mr. Rogers, even though that's what that sounded like a lot. Like, do you actually trust that Jesus can make a difference in how you feel, how you think? Again, I'm not talking pretty boy church stuff that you put on your Sunday best and fake it till you make it. I mean, do you actually trust that Jesus could help you stop being so angry? What? Seriously? I just want church stuff. Don't, don't be messing around with my anger issues. Come on. Come on, those are sacred. Come on, I've been angry. This has been going on in my family for 17 generations. We've been angry. And I can prove it. I'm part German. Like, don't mess with me. Please, this, this is really ultimately where we're going. Is Jesus doesn't want you just to be free that you can come to church and sing some nice songs and put on a, a smile for half an hour or whatever. Like, do you actually trust that he can move into those wounds and frustrations, disappointments into your life and, and actually heal you? Really? Like he can actually transform me that I don't have to be driven or mean or frustrated or just living by a bunch of rules all the time? You mean like Jesus could actually become larger in my life to a point that those things get displaced? Not just swept under the carpet, but I can actually bring them into the light and be healed? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually the whole point. He wants you, he wants me to trust him to be under new management, to be totally transformed. Not just a little bit of God influence, but I'm now living a life in this body trusting God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm totally under his management, submitted to how he does things. Can I tell you, that's going to touch every single 
area of our lives. It can happen. I kid you not. Otherwise, it's, you'll see this on the screen, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. Paul says, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. Because if I could keep the law, if that would make us right with God, then there was really no need for Jesus to die. The word there for meaningless is a word you'd normally see throughout the New Testament, meaning gift. Dorea. From Doron, meaning gift. And here, it literally means something for free. It's for nothing. It's, it's a gift. And it says if if I don't treat the grace of God, or if, I, if I'm living this way, I'm treating the grace of God as a, like a dollar store gift. It's, it's, it's just, it's empty. It's, it's meaningless. It's, it's for nothing. Because if I could keep the law and that would make me right with God, then why did Jesus even die? Like it's a sobering thought to think if I'm just going to keep trying to do the right thing and be the nice guy in my own strength, then it was a waste of time for Jesus to even die. He died for nothing. Either I'm all in or I'm just playing some kind of religious game. I mean, this is a profoundly sobering thought. Let me end with this last slide, well, last scripture slide, Galatians 5.1 that I mentioned earlier. So Christ has truly set us free. Make sure you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Like I think a lot of us, we have a moment when we come to Jesus Christ like, yeah, God, I'm, <laughs> I'm done I quit my way of doing it. I'm done with that. Now you're in control. That's a beautiful moment. It's a moment where you, it's kind of like the trade-off where your foot goes down on the gas and your foot pops off the clutch and the gears engage and it's like, okay, God, you're in control. I'm not. But the danger is of slipping into a system where you replace that abandonment to self with, there's a bunch of rules I could follow. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Christ has truly set us free, so make sure you, you stay free and don't get wrapped up in laws, in the slavery to laws again. You see on the next slide here, I think we all kind of struggle with this temptation to listen to those voices inside our head. Those negative tapes that play that own us again, that direct our lives. Again, we're trying to measure up. We're trying to impress others, trying to please others. But there's a simple law of abandonment to Jesus Christ that he, in a fresh way, invites us into again today. To just trust him, to die, to say, yeah, I, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm not living anymore. I don't know about you, but I get sick and tired of trying to do it in my own strength. This last slide for me, visually, 
that kind of describes what I feel like in my own strength. I just feel like perpetually stuck. I don't have what it takes. That's actually the truth. I don't have what it takes. Except in Jesus. When Jesus is in control of my life, and I'm not just talking for the first time, I'm talking on a daily basis these last 47 years that I've been committed to Jesus. When he's in control, there's this freedom that comes. This new spirit of adventure, this, this entrepreneurial attitude of God, you're in control. Like every now and then I'll wake up in the morning and I'll think, are we crazy that we want to plant three more churches in the next five years? Are we nuts? Yeah, probably. But by the grace of God, can I tell you, we're doing this. Not just one or two, not just eight or ten people, not just a bunch of people that are transferring from other churches, but we know in our hearts that God is going to bring us hundreds of people who do not yet know him, who will find Christ in the new campuses that we are planting here in Calgary. Like, this is the freedom we're looking for. A freedom to dream again. A freedom to, to believe for something more, for something greater, that I can be different, that you can be different, that we together as a church can be different. He didn't die so we could walk around spending the rest of our lives Stuck. He died. Jesus died. So that we could be free to live. That we could be free of self. Hmm. I invite the worship team to come. I think they're nearby. Or we have a big rat problem over here in this corner of the church. It's one of the two. Hard to say. Oh, look, it's people. Bless God. These guys are going to share a song with us. Actually, would you mind standing even now? We're going to share a song with us by Michael Larson, Freedom Reigns. And uh, I invite you not just to sing this song, but to pray. Make this your prayer that freedom would reign in your life. And then I'm going to come back and close in prayer in a couple minutes. I'd like to pray for you before you go. Let me just say this. Jesus hasn't called you to live a life you feel powerless, anemic, weak, frustrated, defeated, anxious. He's called you to live a life of freedom. And whoever the sun sets free, I knew you'd know. Thursday as we were praying for the service I had a flashback of a vision and it's not something I saw it's something one of our youth leaders saw 28 years ago her name is Lorna Lorna Poole and Lorna had this picture that she was sitting up on an altar an ancient altar of sacrifice and she was kind of sitting on the edge and her legs were hanging over and as she saw herself in this vision, Lorna realized she was kind of on the altar, that is, 
dead to her own way of doing things, dead like a, an offering, like a sacrifice. But she said, there's parts hanging around. There's kind of, kind of on the altar, dead to my own way of doing things. But parts of me were hanging over the edge. And Lorna said she just felt to, to bring her legs up as she was watching this vision. She felt to bring her legs up and kind of tuck it. So every part of her life would be on the altar, willing to be sacrificed for God. So at that point, Lorna Pool became Deadpool. But she shared that with me 28 years ago, and as I was thinking of this service this week, I thought, you know what? I feel that's where we all need to be, at that place where nothing's hanging over the edge. Like, well, God, I give you everything except this or that. or Because I have been crucified with Christ. It's not me living any longer. It's Jesus living in me. So, today if you need prayer about anything, about this, about coming to a place of freedom, or, or anything at all, you need prayer. Some people from our ministry team will be down here in the corner uh, under this banner to pray with you, or they'd also be glad to meet with you out in the lobby just outside the door uh, as you go. They're delighted to pray with you. But let me just make declaration over you. Father, in the name of Jesus... I give you thanks today for these folks. Probably a lot like me, many of them, they're, they're struggling to find a place of complete freedom. Our confession today, according to your word, is I have been crucified with Christ. I'm not living any longer. It's Jesus that lives in me. Father, where there's parts of our old selves that are trying to resurrect themselves, they're trying to do things our own way, in our own strength, in our own ability, and falling incredibly, perpetually short. We receive your word that says we have been crucified with Christ. We invite you to come into those places in our hearts, those avenues and areas of our lives in this journey that are not yet totally dead, where Jesus hasn't taken over every square inch Father, forgive us for preserving ourselves. Forgive us for putting up walls. Forgive us for protecting ourselves. Forgive us for just trying to be in control. We lay down anything in us that's controlling, anything that's manipulative, anything that's secretive. We just kind of lay it all out in front of you and say, God, please take all of that stuff especially our unwillingness to change. Forgive us for the walls that we've put up to keep you out and keep ourselves in. Would you help us today, Father, by the power of your Spirit, would you just step in and tear down the walls that we've built between us and you? Give free access, Lord, to your Holy Spirit just to pour into our hearts to help us crucify the old knowing that everything new is coming. And again, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. I thank you that as we walk out of this place this morning, there's a freedom on us to live a life of liberty. And we will stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and not be yoked ever again with bondage. We declare 
the freedom of the Father, the fellowship of the Son, and the liberty of Holy Spirit to be with every single person in this room, that they would walk from this place with joy, freedom, peace, hope, and courage, because Christ is Lord of every square inch of their lives. We decree it in the name of Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us with great thanks. Amen. 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 Bless you. Have a, <laughs> have a great day. Enjoy your holiday Monday. Thanks for being here.